You, uh, you guys came to worship tonight. I was blown away standing in the back hearing how loud everyone was singing out. That's awesome. I'm pumped that you guys came to worship. Okay, now we're going to continue to worship by diving into God's Word. But I just wanted to say, good job. That was awesome. So I want to start off with a question. How many of you have ever gone through and become one of those people who gets obsessed with a trend or a craze or a fad, and then years later you look back and you think, what in the world was I thinking? (laughs) Why did I ever do that? I had one of those moments recently. It was shortly after Megan and I got married. We were at my parents' house reading out our uh, closet with all or their kind of storage room with all of our old uh, stuff that uh, we had from when we were a kid. And mom just starts bringing out all these totes. And I look over, I'm like, why did I have three like large, large totes of Beanie Babies? <laughs> If you're a 90s kid, you know that was a trend. Why they, why they talked you into spending $10 to collect these little stupid like, characters? I have no idea, but there's like multiple totes. I'm embarrassed. I'm thinking, well, how do I explain this to Megan? I, they were cool at the time. I don't, I don't know. Or what, or what a couple years ago, what, what was big with the fidget spinners, right? That was like right when I was a high school pastor and junior high pastor, or, or even worse, some of my friends that were my age out when I lived in California, they were obsessed with bottle flipping. Did you guys remember that was a trend when people drank bottles halfway through and they'd see if they could flip them and get them to stand certain ways? We had friends that would spend hours practicing that so they could Snapchat bottle flipping on a roof. Like, you're going to look back in 20 years and think, yeah, that was a good investment of 20 my hours. Got that bottle on that ceiling. No, no one's going to think that. But older generation that's laughing really hard at this, don't you think you get off with it? I remember, I've seen pictures of the 80s. I remember when you thought mullets were cool and large perms were just the best thing in the world. So don't act like you have the moral high ground on this. We have all gone through fads that we regret. Or even consider something, maybe you heard about it a couple years ago, that came out called Pokemon Go, right? It was this game that just kind of went across the nation, 45 million daily users. Here we are a year later, and there's 5 million daily users. When you have a business model that drops 40 million people in a year, it's probably a trend or a fad or a craze. It's not a very good thing. So why do I open with that? Why are we talking about fads, about trends, about crazes tonight? Well, it's because of this. In the passage we just read, there were a lot of people when Jesus was alive here on earth that treated following Jesus like a quickly passing trend, just a fad, just a phase of their life. They were swept away in the beginning with the excitement and the popularity of Jesus, the miraculous things he was doing, the radical teaching. They were swept away by the amount of people just showing up to listen to him. And they thought, I want to jump on board the Jesus bandwagon because something's going on with this guy. But you know, our passage tonight shows us there's a lot of people who turned away from following Jesus shortly later. And the question is, why? What happened? It's because they were just fans of Jesus, willing to give out following him a try, but they weren't actually devoted followers. Much like those trends that we laughed at, that we kind of maybe observed for a while and then kind of thought, ah, that's not, I don't really need that anymore. There are a lot of people who did that same exact thing with Jesus. He had a lot of fair weather fans at this moment in his ministry, but he did not have a lot of devoted, committed disciples. 
And that's really important. The idea of fan and follower. Fan and follower. Because at first, by external uh, glance, you would think that they're almost identical. They look a lot alike. They're cheering for the same things. They're showing up to the same places. But if you had an x-ray and you could look at the internal, if you could look at their heart, you would recognize that there's two very different things going on there. There's two very different hearts between a person who's a fan of Jesus and a committed, devoted follower of Jesus. Fans of Jesus want to be with Jesus as long as that association is beneficial for them. And that relationship isn't too serious, as long as it doesn't cost them too much, as long as it's not too uncomfortable in their lives, that's kind of the limit of their relationship with Christ. Fans of Jesus love hearing encouraging and exciting sermons on the weekend that that give all the wonderful promises of God, but then they kind of push back and don't really like the sound of the commands or the imperatives that Jesus gives and says, those are just a little too radical. Those are unrealistic in a 21st century world. We'll take the love of Jesus, but let's reject those commands parts. We don't really jive with that anymore. A fan of Jesus is happy to talk about Jesus in their faith while they're here in church for an hour and a half on Sunday morning, but they really want to clock out on the way out. And when it comes to their family or when it comes to their friends or when it comes to their coworkers, the thought of actually sharing their faith and engaging another person about Jesus, why would I ever want to do that? I don't want to push my faith on anybody. That's just kind of a private sector, a little piece of my life. There's no need for me to share what I believe in. Fans of Jesus love the emotional charge that comes from singing a song like All I Am that we sang opening tonight. But when it actually comes to giving all that they are, all of their time, all of their talents, all of their energy, all of their wealth to further the kingdom, to spread the gospel, to worship God, that's just off the table and that's way too radical. I'm willing to sing it, but live it out, that's a whole different step. Fans of Jesus love going on retreats or mission trips where you get the fun uh, matching shirts that says, you know, Jesus rocks and uh, Guatemala 2018 or whatever. We love wearing those shirts and going on international trips. But then when I show up on my college campus, I'm trying to put a hoodie over that because I don't want anybody to know I'm a Christian because then I'm not going to get invited anywhere. There's a social stigma. There's a cost. And I want to hide the fact of who I say that I am. Fans of Jesus are superficial And their support and their applause and their excitement can be quickly quenched and extinguished when things aren't going their way, when following Jesus becomes difficult and hard, and when the cost becomes real. But you know, followers of Jesus are not like that. They're literally the opposite. They are serious and they are devoted to following Jesus regardless of the cost, regardless of the discomfort, regardless of the persecution. Followers of Jesus recognize that the label Christian is not just one of many aspects that describe my identity and who I am. They're not a person that says, you know, I'm a Packers fan. I'm a American. I'm a mechanic. I'm also a Christian. It's just one of many things that make me who I am. A follower of Christ recognizes my deepest and truest identity is Christ. I am a Christian first and foremost. I'm a Christ follower who happens to like the Packers or who happens to like the Vikings or who happens to like when they tie or, you know, all these, I am a Christ follower who happens to like these things, but that's not, those things don't, uh, those things don't make up my identity. My identity is in Christ. Faithful followers see every single aspect of their lives as an opportunity to glorify God. 
They live out what Paul writes to the Corinthians. Whatever I eat or, or, or drink or do, whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God. Every single aspect of my life is my mission field and my chance to glorify him, not just a little time that I carve out on the weekends. And faithful followers of Christ realize that being a Christian is not just being a part of the church crowd, knowing the right amount of Bible stories or Bible trivia, or just turning to God for an inspirational word when life gets hard. Being a Christ follower is a daily commitment to pick up my cross deny myself and follow Jesus, follow his example of sacrificial and selfless service. Jesus doesn't want fans. Jesus wants followers. He wants devoted disciples. And that's how it's always been from the very beginning. That's what Jesus said. He says, I'm not interested in the size of the crowd that follows me. Instead, I'm interested in the substance of their faith. Jesus cares more about the quality of his believers than the quantity of believers. Think about it this way. Up on stage, let's say we had two different tables, and over on this table, there is a nice, crisp $1 bill, okay, laying on this table. Over on this table, there, is tw there are 20,000 nice, crisp bills, but they're not dollars. They're another currency called the real, right? But it's 20 grand, and it's sitting right there. Which one would you rather have? One nice crisp dollar bill or 20,000 real bills? What do you think? What would you rather have? No one's answered because you know it's a trap. <laughs> You're right. So you'd say, well, 20 grand. That sounds like a lot. I, I could do a lot with 20 grand. I want the 20 grand. Well, until you realize it takes 42,000 reels to actually equal $1. It's the weakest currency in the world. It's not going to get you much. What's going on there? Jesus says, I want the quality of my believers more than I care about the quantity because Jesus says, I'm on a radical mission to transform the world with my gospel, with the truth of who I am. I'm on a, a mission to change this world and I need devoted disciples to live that out. I need people of substance. I don't need fans. Jesus wants followers. And that brings us really to our big idea of the passage tonight. If we were to summarize the main idea this way, a fair weather fan will walk away, but a faithful follower will always stay. I made it rhyme so you guys can remember it. <laughs> a fair weather fan will walk away, but a faithful follower will always stay. And if that's true, then we need to be asking the question in our lives, honestly, truthfully tonight, does my life look more like a fan or a follower? What? term describes who I am. And this passage is so relevant because there are a lot of former fans of Jesus in our culture who are no longer following him or bearing the name of Christ. For far too many people, being a disciple of Jesus is just a short fad or a phase that they quickly leave behind, lay aside, and ultimately forget. That's why we're seeing a lot of people in our culture today that are just kind of turning away, walking away from the faith and saying, you know what? That Jesus thing really isn't that much for me anymore. There's some statistics that kind of show what's going on in our culture. In 2007, 78.4% of people, so 78.5% of people said in America that they identified as a Christian, as a Christ follower. In 2014, that number had dropped to 70.5% said that I'm a Christ follower. In seven years, 8% of people who said I once 
said, I'm a Christian, said, no, no, I'm no longer identifying as a Christian. That's not who I am anymore. That's pretty radical. Because realize that's 1% of Christians saying, I'm walking away from the faith a year. 1%. Why is that? And you know, if you look at the statistics, it's not the committed, faithful followers of Christ who are leaving. It's the contemporary, it's just the cultural Christians, the people that say, yeah, I kind of, I'm a fan of Jesus. He's kind of cool. I listen to him sometimes, but I haven't really invested my life in it. Those are the people who are walking away. And if that trend continues, we're in a dangerous spot. That trend continues. By the time I retire in 2060, only 22% of people in America would say that they're Christians. Within my lifetime, we could go from four out of five to one out of five saying, I identify as a Christian. That is devastating. It's devastating because so many people are walking away because I truly believe they've never actually become a follower of Christ, but they were saying, I'm willing to give, it out of, uh, give this religion thing a try for a while. I'm willing to be a fan of Jesus, but I'm not willing to give him my whole life. We have a lot of Fairweather fans, but we don't have a lot of faithful followers. So tonight we need to ask the question, what's the difference and how can I move from being a Fairweather fan to a faithful, devoted follower of Christ. As we jump into our passage tonight, I wanna summarize what's going on in John chapter six for the first 59 verses, so we don't have to read quite through all of those tonight. I'm not sure if we have the time. But what's going on in the first 59 verses of John chapter six, uh, the previous day to where our text picks up, Jesus had just gathered together a absolutely enormous crowd and worked an incredible miracle. He took two small fish and five small barley loaves, divided them and was able to feed 5,000 men. Most likely the crowd really was 20,000 or more people. Five small loaves, two small fish, 20,000 people fed. And at this point, the people are blown away by what Jesus is doing. And in their mind, they think, we want this guy to be our king. This Jesus, we're going to go and we're going to anoint him and we're going to crown him as our king. But when they said that, they had a very specific idea in mind of what kind of king they wanted and were going to force Jesus to be. They said, Jesus is going to be the Messiah king who we think is going to throw off the yoke of the Romans. He's going to break the bondage of the Roman empire. He's going to set up the Israelite kingdom once again, and we're going to reign and rule over this world. Jesus is going to be our political king and free us. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts and intentions, slips away and gets in a boat and goes across the Sea of Capernaum later that evening with his disciples. But this crowd, this massive crowd of 20,000 people, they're not easily fooled. And when they realize that Jesus has run away, they said, we're going to seek him out. So they go to the shore, they hire boats, they pay the money, they cross the sea to find where Jesus is at. Now at this point in the story, things are sounding pretty good. These people are listening to Jesus' teaching. They want him to be their king. They're willing to pay money, sacrifice time, and travel across a rough sea to seek him out. And it says in the text, the disciples were seeking Jesus. That all sounds like really encouraging things. That sounds like a good report. But you see, Jesus knew that external situations cannot always be accurate. He could see their thoughts and their intentions. And at that moment, Jesus decided, I'm going to separate the phony disciples from the faithful disciples. I'm going to separate the fans from the followers. 
So Jesus gives a discourse, a teaching session on him being the bread of life that has come down from heaven. And essentially what he's saying in this verse is, Jesus is saying, I've come down from heaven. I, I'm, I am divine. I am God. I am God's son. He talked about his flesh being broken and his blood being torn out, poured out. And what Jesus was saying there was, I am not the king that you think I am. I'm the king who's going to die for you. My body has to be broken. I have to be nailed to a cross. And that's the only way that you're going to have your sins forgiven and actually be freed. Jesus makes it very clear that you have to believe in him and him alone for salvation. And Jesus is making a very clear picture to them that if they want to truly be his uh, disciples, if they're truly going to call him king, it's going to be on his terms and not theirs. And the Jews get it and they don't like it. As the crowd understands what Jesus is saying, they think that's not the Jesus that we wanted to follow. That doesn't sound like the king that we wanted to anoint him as. Instead, what they said, what Jesus said to them, it was hard. It was offensive. It was costly. It was demanding. They wanted a Jesus who was going to keep feeding them. They wanted a Jesus who was going to keep healing people. They wanted a Jesus who was going to throw off the Romans. But a Jesus that they had to obey? A Jesus that they had to accept as both Lord and Savior of their lives? A Jesus who is going to have to die for their sins and him being the exclusive means of salvation and not the works of the law or anything else, that doesn't sound like a Jesus that they were interested in. So at that moment, as our passage picks up in verse 60, it says this. Many of his disciples, when they heard all, all of this, they said, that's a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And they were grumbling amongst themselves. And then in verse 66, it tells us, after this encounter, many of his disciples, they turned back and they no longer followed him. His disciples, after hearing all these things, after hearing who Jesus actually is, after hearing the gospel, they say, we don't want it. We don't want it anymore. That's too much. We're jumping off the Jesus bandwagon. We're done. Fans, fans checking out. We're, that's the end of the line for us. So the first thing that we can learn tonight that separates a faithful follower from a fan is this. Followers follow Jesus unconditionally. They follow Jesus unconditionally. Realize that fans and followers, when they begin, they both make a commitment to follow Jesus. The crowd, they had just called Jesus their rabbi, their esteemed teacher. They called themselves disciples, which means they're pupils who sit at the master's feet. They were getting ready to call Jesus king and anoint him as their Lord. They made a commitment to follow Jesus. They looked like they were all in. They were talking the talk. They were living it out. But the problem was there was a lot going on in their hearts that we couldn't see. They added all of these terms and conditions to their willingness to follow Jesus. It's like when you hear on, on the radio and you hear like a, a car commercial about all the wonderful benefits of buying this new car. And then at the end, they talk really, really fast and you can't understand what's going on. Terms and conditions do apply. And that's all you hear. It's like, what? What was that? That's what they're doing. We'll follow you. This is going to be great. Jesus, we love you. But terms and conditions do apply. <clears throat> we'll follow you, Jesus as long as you lead us where we want to go. We'll obey you, Jesus, as long as we don't think your commandments are too ridiculous and out of place in our culture. We'll follow you, Jesus. We'll, we'll trust in you, Jesus, as long as you actually turn out to be who you think, who I think that you are. 
They had all of these different terms and conditions. Fans are always quick to say, I'll follow Jesus, but they're always quick to also add on, as long as Jesus meets my expectations of who I want him to be. We live in a culture where there are a lot of people who say, I follow Jesus, but they follow a counterfeit Jesus. They follow a counterfeit Jesus of their own creation and not the Jesus who we see in the Bible, not the Jesus who's the son of God. There's a lot of people who really enjoy following ATM Jesus, right? So if I accept Jesus in my life, I essentially get a little debit card from my, from my heavenly father and a pin number, and I can just go swipe it from the bank of God and get whatever I want whenever I need it. Jesus is my ATM machine to make my external life better, and that's what I want. There's a lot of people out there who serve cheerleader Jesus. Jesus is on the sidelines of my life, and he's just there to make me happy. He's there to cheer me on no matter what I do, no matter what path I choose. Ultimately, God wants to meet me where I'm at and God wants me to be fulfilled and happy. And that's the most important thing that God wants in my life. God's just cheering me on. Jesus is cheering me on. There's a lot of people who want Jesus just as the life insurance policy. I hope I never have to use it. It's nice to have Jesus in my back pocket if something really, really bad happens, but it's better to invest in that, never think about it, and only touch it when disaster strikes. And then there's people that want to accept Jesus as their long-distance friend, Jesus. You were really close with them growing up. You were really good friends. But as you got older, you kind of separated. You both got busier with different things. And now you catch up twice a year at holidays, Christmas and Easter. And that's okay, because that's all that you really want out of the friendship anyway. It's just good to know that, you know, he's still there in my life to some degree, and he doesn't expect that much. There's a lot of people who are following false and counterfeit Jesuses in our culture, but that's not who Jesus is. We don't get to set the terms. We don't get to set the conditions of following Jesus. He says here, if you want to follow me, you got to follow me on my terms. We surrender it all. We give it all to God. We give it all to Christ. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have to hang in our hearts a sign that says, under new management. We don't get to keep control of the reins. But you know, we're never going to hang a sign that says, under new management, if we've never learned to truly and fully and deeply trust in the love and the goodness of Christ. And that's the second thing that differentiates a fan from a follower. Fans are willing to try out being a Christian. But followers, followers, true followers, they trust in Christ. There's a big difference between trying out and trusting in. And that's the biggest difference between a fan and a follower. It's trust and belief. Who do you trust in? Have you actually trusted in Jesus and given up control and believed in him? That's what Jesus says in our passage here tonight. He says very clearly in uh, verse 65, uh, nope, I'm sorry, a little bit earlier, he says that in verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. And in verse 36, Jesus says, the reason that you're not listening and accepting these things that I'm saying is because you've heard me, but you don't actually believe in me. Fans of Jesus are willing to try out following him for a time, but then they refuse to really give everything over to him. They keep holding back some things in their life just in case things don't really work out in the end. There may be followers of Jesus. How many of you have ever 
felt the annoyance of making an event on Facebook and there's three options on it. Yes, no, and what's the third one? Interested, right? Yes, no, interested. And what happens, you're trying to plan a party at your house and you send out an invite and you get seven yeses, you get 45 maybes or interested, and then you get a bunch of no's. 45, okay? And then the event happens and you have eight people show up. It happens all the time. Why is that? Why is that? Because there's that third option. There's the interested, which means I'm interested. I'm willing to follow the words a little bit. I'm willing to invest some time and, and check in and get those annoying reminders that tell me, let your host know what's going on and if you can make it. I'm willing to be interested in this event, but I'm not willing to commit to it. I'm not willing to go over and, and click yes. And why is that? Why do we click the interested button? Because we're concerned we're going to miss out that something better better might come along and it's our backup plan. That's what an interested follower of Jesus is. I'm interested in him. I'm willing to invest a little bit, but I'm not willing to say yes and click yes and give over my life and turn over the reins and give him everything because I'm afraid that there's something that might come along that's better. I might want to try out something new in college. I might want to uh, ditch church on the weekends later on in life when something, I, I might want to do all these different things that I'm not willing to click yes because I know it's going to cost me something. So I'm just going to pretend to be interested for a long time. But being interested doesn't matter. Jesus has given us all an invitation to follow him as his disciples. And there's only two boxes we can check. Yes or no. Clicking interested, it's not enough. It's a no in Jesus' eyes. It's yes or no. So if trying out Jesus isn't good enough, what's the answer? We have to trust in Jesus. We have to have biblical faith. We have to fully and truly trust in him. And so much of what I'm saying tonight cuts against the grain of American Christianity because we have fallen victim to something called easy believism, which essentially says all I need to do to be a Christian is just believe that Jesus was real, believe that Jesus died and that I need a savior. And that's really it. It doesn't have to impact my life. It doesn't have to change me. It doesn't have to transform my heart. I just have to accept this gospel message is true. And that's all that God wants from me. But that doesn't, that's not, that's not biblical faith. And that doesn't work in any other area of our lives either. Think about it this way. Think that maybe you'd go to the doctor this week and the doctor looks at you and says, you are essentially a dead person walking. You have 90 to 95% blockage in four of the main arteries that feed your heart with blood. You're going to die. The condition is fatal. There's only one thing that we can do. Open heart surgery and do a quadruple bypass on your heart. That's it. That's all we can do. And as you're sitting there, you listen to it, you listen to the doctor, you get the brochure, you read all about it, you go online and WebMD it and you read about it, you know this procedure can work, you've seen the proof that it works on thousands and millions of other people, you talk to it, you even book the appointment to go and get the surgery, but then you refuse to go. Have you been physically saved yet? Yes or no? No. Are you still going to die from that condition? Why? because you refuse to let the doctor put his scalpel on your chest and do the work that needs to be done to save you. It's how it is when it comes to following Christ. We have a disease spiritually that's killing us. It's sin. 
It's called sin. And Jesus is the only person that can save us from it. But just believing that Jesus can save us, just believing that the gospel is true, just believing that he died for our sins, that's not enough if we're not willing to let Jesus get the scalpel out and say, I gotta do the operation to change your heart. I gotta give you a new heart. I gotta get rid of the plaque. I gotta get rid of the junk. I gotta get rid of the stuff that's choking out your life. If we refuse to go under the scalpel of Christ, we're not truly saved. Because we say, I believe it, but not enough to actually put my faith into actions. As James would say, faith without action, without work is dead. So here is true saving. Uh, Here's a definition of true saving faith. It's understanding, it's conviction, and it's commitment. It's understanding, I understand the gospel. I understand that Jesus died for me, that I'm sinful, that I need a savior. Second, it's conviction. I feel a godly conviction, a spirit-enabled conviction in my heart that makes me want to turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. I know that my sin has caused me to have a separation with a holy God and that sin is killing me. And if I understand that, how could I want to keep living in it? If I want to follow Jesus, I have to turn my eyes to him and Jesus and sin are polar opposites. So if I'm looking at Jesus, I cannot be looking at sin, conviction, and then commitment. I'm following Jesus and no turning back. It's going to be hard. There's going to be a cost. There's going to be a demand in my life. But I understand that Jesus is worth it. That's what it means to be a true follower of Christ. And this crowd made the biggest mistake of their lives. They understood the gospel. They understood what Jesus was saying, but they weren't convicted and they refused to commit. And they walked away and they stopped being fans of Jesus that day. And in verse 11, at the end of our passage, the last thing we're hitting on tonight, or not verse 11, I'm sorry. And our verse later on in verse 67, Jesus, right after all of these disciples, probably, probably 10,000, probably tens of thousands people walk away and say, we're no longer following you. It could have even been just the disciples left. Jesus looks over at them and asks a heart-wrenching question. He says, do you want to go away as well? says, do you want to leave me too? And what do the disciples say? What does Peter say in this moment? He says, Lord, who else could we go to? Who else could we follow? You alone have the words of eternal life. Number three, the thing that differentiates a fan from a follower is the realization that there's nothing better than following Jesus. I love the truth and the power of what Peter's saying here. Peter gets it. Fans will walk away, but followers will always stay. And the reason that followers will always stay is because they've come to know and to believe that there is nothing better in the entire universe than having Jesus as their Lord and Savior and having a relationship with him. There's nothing better. So Peter says, I can't walk away because I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And yeah, there's a cost and yeah, people are leaving, but that doesn't matter because I want you and I need you. Peter says, there's no one else I can turn to. And Peter isn't saying that there's no other options that he could turn to, but no one else with the power. Because we live in a world that gives us a lot of different options to medicate that pain, to to try to fulfill that need for love and intimacy and forgiveness that we have. The world offers answers, but none that can actually be the cure, only things that can temporarily take away the pain. The world offers alcohol and drugs to get us to forget 
a broken marriage, to forget a hard job at work, to forget a disappointing life, to forget that I'm feeling isolated and alone. But guess what? The minute I sober up, my problems are still there and I'm not cured. It just temporarily alleviated it. The world tries to lessen my guilt over my sin and my, and my shame and my brokenness by telling me that there's no eternal life. There's no judge. There's no evaluation of what I do. But still, even if I try to buy into that, that deep nagging sense of guilt and shame and brokenness of my sin just won't go away no matter how much I try to deny that there's any absolutes in this life. The world tries to lessen our guilt and shame in those ways. And the world, offer also, the world also tries to offer us a variety of distractions. We've got boats, we've got lake houses, we've got trips around the world, all these different things, all these material possessions that said, your life will be fulfilled and satisfying and happy if you just have these things. But then we see on the news every single year, so many celebrities that literally have everything taking their own lives because guess what? It was empty and it didn't fix that hunger and thirst for righteousness that they had, but they couldn't identify. We have a buffet of sports, TV, movies, social media, 24-7 news stations. But as much as we consume, by the end, we're still hungry for something else. It never takes away that urge or that craving. We need something more. Peter, when he looks at Jesus, he says, there's nothing else I can have. There's nowhere else I can turn because you alone have the words of eternal life. You alone have what I need. And that's why Peter says, yeah, fans, they'll walk away, but I'm, I'm always gonna stay. I won't go anywhere. Did Peter make mistakes after that? Yeah, he made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> he was not a perfect guy by any stretch of the imagination. But for the rest of his life, he was committed and said, even when I fall down, I'm gonna get up and start following Christ more. Even as Peter died on a cross, crucified, he would not turn away from Jesus. And I bet he's still saying the same thing. It's worth it because I know that following Jesus means that I have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. Peter understood what it means to be a faithful follower. And this message is so important for us to hear. And it's so important even in my heart, in my life, because I can honestly tell you that I was a fan of Jesus for most of my life. I was a fan of Jesus growing up through the church. I knew all the right answers. I attended a lot of church services, but by the time I was at the end of high school, I was ready to walk away too. I thought, I, I, don't, I, I don't need this. I want to do life my own way. I was a fan of Jesus, but I never had a true relationship and found the joy and satisfaction that's in him alone. And then my freshman year of college, a pastor gave a similar message that talked about the difference between the two and the need to follow Jesus. At that moment, I found that Jesus alone has the words of eternal life and that he is good. I tasted and saw that the Lord is good. So I just want that for all of you. I want that for all of us. I don't want anyone to walk away not knowing what Christ has done for them and having the opportunity to put their faith in Christ. So that's why we're here tonight. We want to be followers, not fans. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to spend a little bit of time singing, just pondering that thought. Am I a fan or am I a follower? And if I am a fan, what do I want to do about it? So let me just pray together tonight. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you so much for this opportunity to look at your word and be struck by the words of Christ. They're convicting, that are real, that are direct to us saying, I don't want fans. I want 
committed disciples who are willing to live radically for me to change this world. So God, I ask that you work in our hearts. You convict us of our sin and we fully commit to follow you regardless of the cost, regardless of the persecution, regardless of the sacrifice. We recognize that Jesus alone is what we need. So God, just work in our hearts tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.